what you make of that NDP liberal deal yesterday, the supply and confidence agreement probably depends on your politics. It will keep the liberals in power till 2025, at least apparently, or at least till the next election, which is meant to be in the fall of 2025. But regardless of your politics, there were some initiatives in there that were kind of interesting and worth looking at. One of the biggest ones is one of the biggest healthcare initiatives since Medicare was created ages ago. Ottawa is planning to launch an income-tested national dental program in phases. In 2020, the Parliamentary Budget Officer estimated the plan would cost about $1.5 billion a year, impact about 6.5 million uninsured Canadians. The PPO also noted that the government would face a one-time cost of about $3 billion to cover untreated cavities in that first eligible population. It sounds like a really good idea. Oral health, or at least dental health, has been a problem, is a problem. It is expensive. We were talking about how expensive rent is. We talked for ages about how expensive inflation is making everything. Getting access to less expensive dental care would seem like a really good idea. But how will it work? Who will run it? Will it be run properly? How much will it cost? And how do you set it up? Joining me now is Dr. Carlos Quinones. He's a professor in the Faculty of Dentistry at the University of Toronto, and he's also author of a very prescient book called The Politics of Dental Care in Canada. Dr. Quinones, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me, Ben. I know this is something you've been talking about for a long time. It's been circulating politically for a long time, too. Were you pleasantly surprised or surprised at least to see this come to fruition in some sorts yesterday? I was pleasantly surprised. You know, as you say, uh, this is a long time coming. Uh, uh, researchers like myself and uh, advocacy efforts have been pushing for uh, something like this for, for I would say, you know, close to 25, 30 years, maybe even more. And we have seen incremental gains across the provinces and territories uh, for about, you know, let's say 20 years now. Um, but then to have the federal government step in and, and provide its own tailor-made solution, whatever that may, may look like, and how, may, and how they may roll that out, it's still to be seen. But nonetheless, it's, it's, it's very welcome. Uh, and I think many in our community, including dentists, dental hygienists, and dental assistants, and everybody involved in this area, poverty advocates, I mean, you name it, this is, this is very welcome. Who will it cover? Because I know it's, and this is sort of would be an expanding program, but it starts off with a very specific uh, group in need, which is kids. So as of now, we really only have a small paragraph um, in the confidence and supply agreement between the NDP and the Liberals uh, that explains what is, uh, uh, who is going to be covered. And for the first year, they said it's going to be um, children 12 years under. Um, uh, I think the following year it's going to include um, adults, seniors, individuals with um, uh, disabilities, uh, a group or two, so pardon me. And then ultimately uh, they state that there's going to be full implementation of the program by 2025. Um, it's also uh, income tested. Um, if you make less than $90,000 a year, a family that makes less than that will be eligible. And if you make less than $70,000 a year as a family, then you won't have to pay any co-pays. So again, that implies that when be a 90K, you will have to pay um, some extra care. Um, that's, again, an issue that needs to be fleshed out, meaning how many people in a family. Um, you know, uh, with that said, I think those are good good numbers in terms of an income threshold, because we're not just dealing with the, you know, individuals with no income or very low income or even low income. I think at that stage, you're, 
you're kind of in the working poverty area, the uh, working poverty um, um, sort of segment or, or middle income segment of the population um, based on based on Statistics Canada um, estimates. So I think it reaches into areas that we now know um, are having challenges in, in accessing dental care from an affordability perspective. Yeah, tell me about that. We, were t- we talk about inflation all the time. Um, I've heard you quoted or seen you quoted saying that you know families right now are having to make some really difficult choices when it comes to dental care and what kind of impact that has in a bunch of different areas. Well, let me just quickly give you a background on the landscape of public dental care in this country. Um, you know, most provinces and territories have public programs that focus on low-income kids, uh, low-income families, um, but we do a lot more for the kids than we do for the adults in these families, um, um, meaning we provide kids a, a suite of services and the adults really just get some basic um, pain management and some dentures for missing front teeth and so on, and I'm making generalizations here. Right. Um, uh, and then uh, there are some programs for people with uh, disabilities and then some fo- some provinces and territories do stuff for low-income seniors, but it's real patchwork. So um, the problem with that, though, is that if you have no income or low income, you uh, can receive the benefits of having um, a, a public dental care program. But the minute you are employed and you have low wage work uh, or work that doesn't provide you with any type of um, dental insurance, you really start falling through the cracks. Um, then at the sort of the top end of the spectrum are folks like myself who have good, stable jobs with employer-sponsored benefits, very good benefits often. Um, and, you know, we, we, we're, we're okay to a large extent, but it's really those, let's just say those people in the middle. So that whole idea of, you know, squeezing the middle class, I think, I think that applies here a little bit. Um, we're also dealing a little bit with the issue of underinsurance, meaning folks that have low wage work, but do have the benefit of some type of insurance. But one can imagine if you're covered for, let's just say $600 a year and your copay is 250, you know, that, that, that will only take you so far, especially if you have major oral health care needs. Um, so, you know, if anybody's yeah. been to the dentist lately, pardon me, you, you can, you, you know, it's, it's, it's rather expensive. I mean, obviously, and, and we're used to, I mean, in some senses, we're used to Medicare. And, and obviously, when you go to the dentist, you're faced, even when you're insured to some extent, but if you're not insured, I can't imagine the barrier that that would present. How many Canadians out there right now are having to make difficult decisions, do you think, about spending money at the dentist? Well, we know from latest estimates, I think at about 2017-18 from the Canadian Community Health Survey, that about one in five Canadians report that they haven't been able to go to the dentist because of costs. Um, one in three uh, Canadians also say that they don't have any type of public or private coverage. And we know that coverage is really, really important in terms of offsetting the cost of dental care and facilitates facilitates access to and utilization of dental care to a great degree. So, you know, it can be quite, quite meaningful to you as a family to be able to have that coverage, especially if you're, again, in the middle income category or low income category. Because the trade-offs can be quite severe. We've done research among working poor families uh, to show that they trade off things like toys for the kids, um, night school. Uh, you know, think about that, giving up educational opportunities to advance your life or career uh, in order to, in order to um, access dental care. And then we've also done research among food insecure working poor families families, meaning those folks that might not be able to afford the quality or the quantity of the food that they would like. Um, but, you know, that's a big, big problem in Canada, unfortunately. Um, 
um, you know, those folks give up, you know, trade off food to be able to access dental care. So it's really just not a good situation. And again, that's why this program is so welcome. If you're just joining a little more conversation, I'm speaking with Dr. Carlos Quinonez, a professor in the Faculty of Dentistry at the University of Toronto and author of The Politics of Dental Care in Canada. We're talking about an announcement, at least in the supply and confidence agreement between the Liberals and the NDP yesterday about plans for a the beginnings of a national dental care program. Clearly, though, and, and, and I know this, I've seen this reported often, if you don't treat oral health issues early, they become health issues later, and that strains the entire system. So this is a bit of an ounce of prevention and cure scenario. Yes, I would agree. But let me let me just sort of correct um, or, or give you a, a better sense of what you're saying. I, I agree with everything you're saying. But, you know, I want to challenge the idea that oral health problems eventually become health problems. You know, oral health is health, right? So right. the minute you have an oral health problem, you have a health problem, right? Right. And it could be quite severe. I don't know if you've ever had a toothache, Ben, um, sure. or know anybody who has had one. I Indeed. Mean, they can they can be quite brutal. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. in fact, for uh, hundreds and thousands of years, dental pain was so common that it became, you know, the the you know what philosophers talked about and what scientists talked about when they wanted to understand the nature of pain, right? Right. Um, it, it's it's a big, big deal. And that could lead to a whole host of problems, you know, uh, you know, hospitalization, even death in some rare cases. And thank mm-hmm. goodness it's rare, but it, it can happen. I'm speaking with Dr. Carlos Quinones, a professor in the Faculty of Dentistry at the University of Toronto and author of The Politics of Dental Care in Canada. We're talking about uh, plans announced yesterday for the beginnings of a national dental care program. And we'll get to whether this is the best way of implementing it, whether to go through a federal program or to work through the provinces, as some are suggesting, and we'll get to that after this. I'm back with Dr. Carlos Quinones, a professor in the Faculty of Dentistry at the University of Toronto and author of The Politics of Dental Care in Canada. We're talking about an announcement yesterday as part of an agreement between the NDP and the Liberals um, to begin at least a national dental care program that would at least at the beginning apply to children and and then uh, under the age of 12 and then expand uh, more broadly. It's also income tested. Um, Is this the most effective way of doing it? I've been reading over the last 24 hours, some suggestions that maybe we should work through a provincial system that's already in place, uh, work through the provinces, or is a national federal program really the best answer you think? So this is where I think the, you know, sort of the, the, the details are, are, are need to be fleshed out. We need to look underneath the hood of this thing per se and get a sense of how this is going to work out. If it goes in line with what the NDP were, 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 were promoting earlier on in, in previous elections, then it would be some type of direct federal program. Now that's not unheard of. There's a direct federal, uh, uh health, uh, dental health and health program generally for, First Nations and Inuit populations, um, uh, but that has to do with a very specific relationship between the Canadian state and Indigenous groups. Um, but they also do it for veterans. They also do it for refugees. So, you know, the idea that there's a direct role for, for financing and delivering health care uh, for the federal government is not unheard of, nor is it new. But yeah, traditionally in Canada, most of these things uh, function at the provincial and territorial level. So it, it, to me, it remains to be seen whether uh, money will flow from the feds uh, to the provinces and territories to make some, something like this happen. You know, I, I see comments uh, from government to suggest that it's going to be the former, the, the, the direct program. But again, I really think that that, that, that is still to be determined. Um, and, you know, as you say, is this the best approach? 
you know, as somebody who's been involved in this area for so long and has wanted to see something like this for so long, you know, I'll take what happens, you know, uh, uh, whether it's direct or, or through the provinces or territories, you know, yeah, each has its pros and cons, but I'm just glad something has happened. I saw that the PBO, the Parliamentary Budget Officer, estimated a plan like this would cost about $1.5 billion a year and that there would be sort of a big one-time cost to handle an influx of people taking advantage of this uh, of this care early. Is, is that really well spent? Yeah, very much so. You know, people, for, well, I don't want to say people forget, but we should never forget that investing in Canadians is investing in Canadian society, is investing in the economy, is investing in our in our quality of life. So I don't think that's money that is poorly spent. I do think, though, again, the devil is in the details and we need to pay attention to what we put our money into. You know, there's a lot of dental care that, you know, doesn't necessarily um, um, bring immediate health benefits. You know, for example, you know, there's people that don't have any amount of periodontal disease, um, but they're used to going to the dentist every six months or every nine months or every year to get their teeth clean. That's wonderful. I do that. But you need to start asking questions about whether that's good use of money in the context of a public program. Why? Because there are people that have significant levels of oral disease that need to go to the dentist every three months, every four months. So I think we need to get a little bit more strategic in terms of how we allocate our resources and, and, and what we're set, how we're setting priorities or what we're setting our priorities to be in terms of the types of services we want to cover, as well as where we want to cover them, right? We can do it in private dental clinics or private dental offices, which everybody's very familiar with. And that's wonderful. That's a great solution. And it'll probably be the major solution. But there are also populations in, you know, here that would probably benefit from going to a community health clinic or, or, or uh, here in Ontario, a public health unit clinic, um, you know, or even where I'm at right now in, in a dental school. I mean, here at the University of Toronto, we, we serve thousands of people every year. Um, and so point is, I think a variety of service delivery environments would be positive, uh, which ultimately leads to the whole issue of the devils in the details and what is going to be covered, how is it going to be covered. We've already talked about, you know, how the money will flow or potentially how the money may flow. You know, in the end, I think there's an opportunity to do things in a very creative way that doesn't really disturb the current system to any great degree because it is working very well for many people like myself. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think we have a healthy system. We just now need to sort of fix fix what's wrong with it. And I think this is a great step. Anytime a government comes out with a program like this, there's always sort of a ripple effect or at least a domino effect within the system. Do we have enough dentists to do this, to, to meet demand? And is there any danger here that, that employers start to drop uh, basic coverage because the government would step in? Well, again, this is where I think there needs to be discussions with, between employer, employer groups, uh, between benefits carriers, between oral health care professional groups, whether it be dentists, dental hygienists, denturists, dental therapists, so on and so forth, as to what, what are the implications of something like this. You know, I think if you live in, you know, I'm assuming you're in Vancouver, Ben? Uh, Victoria. Victoria. So I'm yeah. assuming that in places like Vancouver, Victoria, Toronto, Winnipeg, Edmonton, there's a lot of supply, right? Yeah. Um, but I think the issue becomes, well, what if you live in a, in a, in a rural or a uh, remote or semi-remote region of, of this country? You know, th that is an access issue that's been present that putting more money uh, into a program isn't going to solve, right? 
we need strategies to be able to give folks that live in these communities access to care. And yeah, maybe we'll take care of some of the financing issues, but we also need to sort of think about um, labor supply in, in, in places that may not necessarily be, you know, overflowing with, with dentists and dental offices and, and the like. But again, I think ultimately we need to have a, a sit down with the major stakeholder groups to think how something like this might work. And ultimately, to me, those are very healthy discussions because there's this to me presents a wonderful opportunity to address some of the p- things that have sort of plagued our oral health care system for a long time that, from my perspective, require a little bit of attention. So, you know, I, you know I'm an... I, I'm a, a half glass full type of person. So let's just try to see what we can do given this great opportunity. What will you be looking for next? Uh, I, I mean, the timeline seems very ambitious for a government program. I know you've mentioned that it already is in place for certain groups. So it's not like they have to reinvent the wheel, as was, I think, mentioned by other groups uh, yesterday. Uh, but the timeline seems ambitious, ambitious. So what are you looking for next? And does the timeline really matter? Or should we just get this right? Uh, I, I'm very much with you on the last point here um, that, you know, to me, the timeline doesn't necessarily matter that much. I'd rather just get it right. I have seen some provincial programs sort of make a big splash and, you know, a big push to try to make them happen. And when they, when, when they, you know, begin sort of fall flat a little bit, and that's not what we want here, given, given the great opportunity that we have. Um, so what I would like to see is I'd like to see some discussion. I'd like to see some, you know, work to bring people together um, um, you know, and, and, and provide some advice to, to, to government to, to, you know, to, to get the information out there. You know, there's a lot of expertise from dentists, uh, from other oral health care professionals, from researchers like myself across this country, from poverty advocates, from the patients themselves. I mean, this is standard practice in terms of rolling something like this out. And I hope, and I hope, uh, the federal government takes that serious. Dr. Carlos Quinones, thank you so much for your time and your insight tonight. Thanks for having me, Ben.